Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Day, everyone. What a great video. That was a lot of fun. I wish you could have heard the whole videos. I mean, there were, they were some amazing stories. We just had, you know, only so much time on a Sunday morning. Maybe somehow, Aaron, we can post some of those on later in the week. I mean, uh, the amazing uh, Agricola's, their, their story was just the guy who said the end. <laughs> their story together was a battle, an amazing physical battle uh, of of uh, epic proportions that she had in their marriage, and and you know how that affects. It's he he just shared it brilliantly. I could never repeat it. I wouldn't get it the same understanding. But anyway, um, it was it was an amazing moment to hear each one of those. So anyway, we'll post those a little bit later on. And uh, happy Valentine's Day. By the way, it's really loud up here on the stage, just so you know. But uh, another supernatural story from church history before we begin. I love, I'm a bit of a church history buff. I've actually got a book that I've had it for years where every day it gives you a different story from church history. You know, as you're studying the word and then you see how people have carried it out throughout history. I love that. You know, I love St. Patrick. His day's coming up in about a month and uh, I'll, I'll preach something about that. I love St. Francis, uh, Catherine of Siena, all the various ones throughout history who stepped up in times of great difficulty worldwide and just stood in a gap. Many of them gave their lives, as did St. Valentine. And so I want to talk about St. Valentine just for a moment before we get into the Word. But St. Valentine was a third century saint, which means he was 200 years after Jesus. He was under house arrest actually several times for preaching the gospel. They didn't like that back then. Of course, they love it now, but they didn't like it back then. And, uh, but he was doing something that was causing difficulty. He was secretly marrying people, creating holy matrimony in the way that it should be done, you know? And uh, they didn't like that. They didn't like it because if you were married, according to the law of that time, if you were married, the husband could not be uh, sent to war. And they were in a war, and they needed men to fight the war. And so they were discouraging marriage because of that. I know it sounds convoluted, but hey, it's ancient times. So, um, And so he's under house arrest, and a, a judge heard his testimony of Jesus and was, was a bit agitated about it, but also interested. And so the, the judge said, look, if you, if you can touch my daughter, heal my daughter, I'll give, you, I'll give you whatever that I can give you, I'll give you. And, and so he brings his adopted uh, blind daughter to St. Valentine. At St. Valentine, he, he laid hands on her and he began to pray, you know, and she was instantly healed. And uh, as a result of it, the judge, he was overwhelmed. He said, what shall I do? And St. Uh, Valentine could have said a lot of different things, but he said this. He said, cleanse the house of idols. That would be appropriate today also, I think. Cleanse the house of idols, fast three days, and get baptized. So the judge, his family, and his 44-member household all were baptized three days later. So St. Valentine's, you know, wasn't just uh, sending cards to one another, although he was kind of known for that. In fact, when he healed that man's adopted daughter, he cut something out of uh, uh, like a papyrus uh, in the shape of a heart and gave it to her to remember the moment that she had been healed. And so that's kind of where we get the little tradition, you know, back in elementary school. They probably don't do that now, especially with COVID. You send an email or something, I don't know. But uh, uh, back when I was a little boy, uh, you know, it was an exciting day of the year where everyone brought enough Valentines for everyone in the classroom. Any of you remember that? Was that just our classroom? It was in Brooklyn. Maybe it's a little bit weird. I don't know. But we do that. Of course, you're excited to give these away and, and get them back. And of course, I didn't send any romantic ones. I was in, you know, fourth to sixth grade. And I was thinking ahead to my future wife that I would marry in 1978. So I didn't do any of that. That may not be the truth. But anyway, uh, so he was secretly marrying uh, husbands and wives. And each one that he married, he also did the same thing. He cut a parchment of heart 
heart-shaped parchment out, gave it to them so that they could know, they would be able to present that, actually became a known mark of St. Patrick and and kind of not real romantic, but it kept men out of fighting and battle. So uh, an amazing story of an incredible, incredible man over history, and we honor him this day. He's actually probably a, a conglomeration of a number of different people that were in that time uh, and so thus a great legend out of St. Valentine. But the main focus is that hiring, that focusing on the, the love of your life and those that God has brought into your life to, to be with you. So let me ask you this question before we begin. A couple things that I want to cover in this passage that I'm reading here in a moment. What is a godly life? What does it really look like? Last week I touched on Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm actually going to read just the end of Ephesians 4 in order to bridge into Ephesians 5 today. Ephesians, remember the first three chapters of Ephesians were all about the uh, celestial, heavenly aspects of who God is and what he's given us as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, your identity, who you really are. We all have broken identities out there. But when you come into Christ, it's now no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. You take on the identity of Christ. You become purged and cleansed and what the Bible calls efficacious. I mean, just total covering of just the goodness of God that comes upon you, you know. And so it's, a, it's an amazing transformation or transfiguration that happens in our heart. But it's a celestial one. And then in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul moves into saying how heaven affects earth. I mean, Christians sometimes are known for being heavenly minded and no earthly good. The truth is, if you're heavenly minded, you will be earthly good. Jesus went about doing good, it says in the book of Acts, in healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So we follow in his pattern. I don't know about you, but we're called to to, uh, uh, you know, commit ourselves to, to Christ, to answer his cry out to him. We are called to follow him, but we're also called to learn of him that, that those are disciples. Disciples where we get our word discipline. They are people that are bringing boundaries into their lives in accordance to what they see in the word of God in order to walk the walk, to walk the talk, and make sure the talk is lining up with the walk. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so that you can talk it, but walking it's another thing. You can talk about good marriage and your marriage be falling apart. You can be a mechanic whose car doesn't run. You ever met someone like that? Yeah, a doctor who is unhealthy. I mean, it goes on and on. So as believers, we're called for heaven to actually come to earth. Let's say this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Steve as it is in heaven. That's a better prayer. That's a, that's a focused prayer of what Jesus prayed. I shouldn't say it's a better prayer. This was awesome. But it's a, an application of the prayer in our lives. How does heaven come to you? How does heaven affect you in your daily walk? So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to look briefly at this in verse 29. What a powerful passage. I touched on it very briefly last week. I wish I could have spent a month in this scripture here because it's so full, and I may anyway, and weave it in because this is what God's been speaking to me lately about words and about what we say and the power of them. It says this in verse 29. Now, this is written to a group of people that understand their place in the heavens. Actually, in Ephesians 2, it says that you you were buried with Christ raised up with him. I preached on this about a year ago. I can remember the, the muscle memory of raising my hand like that. You, you were buried in Christ, raised in Christ, and seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your spiritual position. But your body and your emotions and your personality are still on earth. So how do you get the heaven Steve to kind of intermix with the Cleveland Steve? Cleveland Steve needs some help. Cleveland Steve lives in Cleveland. Cleveland needs help. 
How does heaven invade your personal self and really make you a different person? Well, here he's giving instruction. And the instruction in the word of God is not something just to inspire our little hearts and hoping for change. You are now on a mission, as I mentioned before in the past month, this is your promised land. (laughs) You, I mean, there's, there's giants in there. There's the walled cities in there. And you are called to go into you and dispossess those things out of your life by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, energized by the Holy Spirit. That's a win-win. You are empowered to do it. I hear Christians all the time say, I've tried, I've tried over and over. I just know that I don't know. I'm going to be this way the rest of my life, but thank the Lord I'm going to heaven. You know, and the Bible does talk about those who will get to heaven as if through a fire. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the, you know, it's, like the door is being shut just as you walk in kind of a thing. I don't want to enter heaven that way. I want to enter heaven as a victorious bride of Christ. Sorry, guys, we're the bride of Christ. Women have to be sons of God. We get to be the bride of Christ. Figure it out. But anyway, we both have to make adjustments in our life. And so he's talking about walking the walk at the end of chapter three, uh, chapter four, beginning of chapter five. So here it is, verse 29. Let no corrupt word, let me just tell you what that is in the Greek. I'm a little bit of a Greek student. I took a couple years of it in seminary. And I'm kind of resurrecting it in my life right now. So you're gonna get a lot of this stuff. Verse 29, let no corrupt word which is rotten or overdone. (laughs) Like burnt toast. Rotten or overdone words proceed out of your mouth. In other words, overdone, I think, is maybe talking too much to try to get yourself out of a hole that you're digging. I don't know, could be wrong. Rotten or overdone proceed out of your mouth, but what is good? Now see, some people just say, I mean, you don't understand my background. You know where I'm from. It's just part of my person. It's part of my mind. Well, if you're cutting people apart, that's not good. And again, I got to tell this, this is my disclaimer every week. I'm speaking in a mirror. <laughs> so I'm preaching things that I'm in process with right now. Okay, so you can be assured of that. And, and if you don't think so, ask my wife in the front row. She'll tell you. Okay, so it says, you speak what is good for necessary edification, which is, which is the word that this particular word in the context is used as a word for to build a house. In fact, it's got oikos, which is the Greek word for house. It's got oikos sandwiched into this word. You are building a house with your words. And so let no corrupt word come out, no sarcasm. I understand there's levels of sarcasm that are just fun. And usually if it's about yourself, it's a self-demeaning kind of a thing. That's great. But when you're using your sarcasm to trim up other people, that is not a ministry of the Spirit. (laughs) It's not a gift of the Spirit. There's nine of them. There's not ten. The 10 is not the gift of sarcasm. And so some of us have to adjust our culture. I did. I grew up in sarcasm. I have to adjust my culture. I've got to trim things off. And it's taking a lifetime, but the power of the Holy Spirit's working, and I'm getting better at this thing. Is there, I'm, not, I'm not working this out because I'm trying to get in heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. The thing I'm trying to do is trim this thing up so while I'm here on earth, I've got greater effectiveness at demonstrating the power of the Lord Jesus Christ even over my mouth which we know is the director of our destiny. So we are building something with our words, with our spouses. Ultimately, I'm gonna end with the spouse thing today. And uh, I gotta hurry to that. So it says that they may impart grace. In fact, the word here, impart grace, it is so good. I could get so lost in these words. But it's about leaning into the other person. We know what grace is. It's, you know, it's unmerited favor, whatever you want to call it. But it's this, this, in this context, it's about leaning in. So you're leaning in to build them up. You're leaning in. You're, you're, in today's culture, we would say you're present in order to build a construct of love and friendship with that other person. It says in verse 30, 30 and do not grieve, literally cause pain <laughs> to the Holy Spirit of God. Really? Holy Spirit feels grieved? Yes, he does a number of times. It's in Scripture. So our words can grieve the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah. Well, no one ever said that to me. Well, it's right here. 
Do not grieve or give pain to the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, clamor's yelling, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, see how all this has to do with the tongue? The, the, the top two fields in your life for spiritual maturity is governing your tongue by, tongue by the power of the Holy Spirit and governing your money by the power of the Holy Spirit. You become a generous person in order to create a muscle of release, <laughs> a muscle of release on this side of heaven. And the Bible says when you do that, it sounds crazy, but you make friends, eternal friends, when you release your money. And so you gotta get good at that. Christians should be good at being generous. Christians should be good at watching their tongue and guarding it and building up one another. That's why we're called by others a prophetic church. I would call us that too. It's not that we're, you know, mystical people that, you know, are a little, well, maybe we are a little weird, I don't know, but we, we, we want, our desire is to hear from the Lord and speak to others, not in judgment, but in favor, because the Lord himself said there's 365, a year of favor, 365 days of favor, one day of judgment. We understand there is judgment in the kingdom of God. Wrath has been removed because of Jesus Christ and his precious blood, but there is judgment. Whatever you sow, you will reap. That is a self-judgment or a self-fulfilled prophecy. So what you do is you are, you are moving to release and empower favor to others. 99% of the time. In fact, it's a little higher than that. Almost 100% of the time, it's about favor, favor, favor. How can I speak? But I see that people are in sin and they need to repent. Well, figure out a way to communicate it to them in a favorable way. Call them into a greater life in Christ. There's greater joy, there's greater peace that can come with, uh, to you in a life in Christ. So it says, put this stuff away, which infers that you have the power to do it, but we're not doing it. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Turn to the person next to you and say, I really do want to be kind to you. Just tell them that. I really do want to be kind to you. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. So we're reflecting that. Okay, now we're in chapter five. Go to chapter five. Bring your Bibles, bring your smartphones, wherever you can look, because it's, when you look at scripture, as it's being read over you, there's, there's a powerful impact that can happen in your life. It engages more senses. In fact, if I read scripture at home out loud sometimes. When I'm alone, I just, I speak it out. I kind of preach it to myself, you know. Because there's something about me speaking it, me listening to it, me looking at it that engages it. it. It brings focus in my life. So chapter five, it starts with this. I love this. There, and I'm gonna run through this pretty quick. So hang on, get your seatbelt on. Chapter five, verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God, dear children. Imitator is a great word. I've preached on this many times, but it, it means mimic. It, has, it comes from the same word where we get the word mimic, which means you know, walk this way, and everyone walks in the same way, you know. It's, it's a mimicking. It's like what children do to their parents. We see this happen, you know, with grandkids now, I'm being reminded of it. I mean, they, my grandkids are, are little reflections of their parents. There's little Ashley, there's little Megan. I mean, you know, certain things, Cindy, you know, the kids, the grandkids will do something. I go, oh, Cindy and I look at one another like, oh, boy. That's Ashley, that's Megan, you know. And with the other two kids I have, when they have children, I'm sure it'll be the same way. It's just the way it is. Children mimic their parents. And so Paul writing this says, look, be an imitator. In other words, you got to learn, you've got to learn what God does as your father so that you can actually mimic him. You cannot mimic somebody you do not see or you do not know. Now some of it's put into you. Some people who've never been with their father will walk like them. You know, I, I walk like my dad. I have hands like my dad. It's, you know, I remember when I turned like 50. It was one of the big revelations. I, I don't know, I was doing something. I looked down at my hand. I thought, oh my gosh. That's not my hand. That's my father's hand. Really, I look at it now. It's a little scary. That's my father's hand. So, but it's not just my hand. I mean, my laugh could be like my mother, my it's all mixed up. I'm mimicking my mom. I'm mimicking my dad. Cindy mimics all of Canada. 
should do something, and I'll go, that's Canadian. That was, no, it's not. What's that one word I correct you on all the time? You know? <laughs> hamburger. Yeah, we say hamburger, she says hamburger. It's, it's just a nuance different, but I, my ear's like, we're going to have wine. I make her repeat it all the time because I just like to hear it. Hamburger. It's a hamburger. Not a hamburger, it's a hamburger. So anyway, you know, but these are things you learn. Where did she get that? Not from me. You got it from her mom or dad, I don't know, you know. But so, so we mimic our parents, and we are called as children of God to mimic our parents. I mean, I love my little five-year-old uh, Josie. I love all my kids. She did something really special the other day, though. They, uh, my daughter Ashley had a, a pregnant lady in our church coming over. Uh, we're going to have a child pretty soon, you know. And uh, Josie heard about it, and she's five years old. And Josie uh, so made a card for her. It was a very interesting card. I looked at it. It had people drowning in lava. I'm not sure what that had to do with the, uh, the baby coming. But anyway, uh, she, she wrote this cute thing, and it said, I want to, she, she put a $5 bill in there that she had from somewhere, I don't know. I probably gave it to her. But it said, if, what's that? Okay, don't interrupt my message. It's in a piggy bank. <laughs> gave $5, and she told her, her mom said, well, what's, what's the $5 for? She goes, I wanted to give something nice for her baby. <laughs> So yeah, it was beautiful. She ought to go to the dollar store, but anyway, it's a beautiful idea. And she said, if it's a boy, this is what she wrote in there, if it's a boy or girl, I'm going to like it. Like that's her way of encouraging. Yeah. Five years old. And I thought, oh, that's my grandchild. It's not Ashley's daughter, it's my grandchild. <laughs> so you, you see that they actually can pick up some good traits and they mimic things. And that's why Paul writes and says, as dear children, we are learning to mimic God. Look at verse two. Here's, he gets into it now. He wastes no time, the apostle Paul, and he says, walk in love. Like he's hitting the walk thing. You know what love means? It's the word agape. It means preferring others. This is a theme today. I should have titled this message, how to prefer one another. That's really what it's all about in Christianity. Selflessness in order to build others up. Well, but they need to hear my story too. Yeah, okay, well, they'll, they'll ask about it later on. But right now, you speak in terms of other people's interests. When I was a Dale Carnegie instructor, we had nine human relation rules, and that was one of them. Become a good listener. Speak in terms of other people's interests. I mean, it was those kinds of things where we're inserting that into business in order for people, I mean, it sounds very practical, but people don't do it. But when they begin to do it, it's an exercise of love. You are moving in what God would do in that moment. That's why it's a God kind of a love. And it's called agape. It's selfless, selfless love to somebody else that you may not even know. And so he's saying, look, walk in love. In other words, where you go, carry love with you. When you show up, people celebrate you because they know you're, they're going to be loved. They're going to be treated. They're going to be complimented. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be prophesied over. I mean, all kinds of things can happen, you know, when a follower of Jesus shows up in the room. It says this, Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So Paul's giving hints of what love looks like. Let's put skin on this right now. He says, giving himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God. So you give offering sacrifice to others. I give offering sacrifice to others. I give offering sacrifice to others. When do I get? Well, the Bible says when you sow, you will reap. If you want attention, you want love, you want acceptance, sow it everywhere you go. You will give an overwhelming response of love and affection that will come back to you. I can just guarantee that because it's a universal biblical kingdom principle. So he says this, and then he says what it's like. It's like a sweet-smelling aroma. It's interesting. It's the same word that's used for death, the aroma of death. In this case, it's a sweet aroma. But what it's speaking to, why it's death, is because death has to happen for the sweet aroma to come. In the kingdom of God, and guess who's dying? <laughs> you. Yeah, Die. Self. Now, I'm not talking about some, you know, self-mutilation, beating oneself that is practiced in religions and countries that, you know, I've got to humble myself, beat myself so that I stay in a position. It's not about that. That's legalism. It's about your life 
becoming something that is not about you, but about others. And as you pour out, the presence and power of God is upon you in a very powerful way. Okay, let's keep moving here. Sweet smelling aroma. Uh, And it says here, uh, verse three, let's go to verse three. But fornication, by the way, which is where we get our word um, pornea, which is uh, porn, and it's all things illegally sexual, basically. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting. Fitting is an interesting word. It means to tower up, uh, uh, kind of stand out in your behavior. So as is fitting for the saints. In other words, you, this is where your, your mouth gets brought into the whole equation of walking in love is that you speak, even in your conversations with people, you, you can't say, but that's just the way I am. That's what I talk about. You just can't do that as a believer. As a believer, you're bringing restriction into your life, which is the discipline of Christ because you're following Jesus. And even you, let's say, well, what if you're just doing that out of the flesh? You mean I'm acting like Jesus out of the flesh? I don't even understand that. Yeah, but if it's just you, if it's out of your own effort, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a son of God. What I do is building habits in my life, building discipline in my life. So at times I may not feel like, well, you gotta be authentic to yourself and how you're, no, you really don't. You're authentic to the other person. You're actually displacing yourself. (laughs) I need a perfect place. I need a perfect drink. I need a perfect situation. I need everything. I get that in your little world, in my little world. You know, I've got a little chair that I like. I got a little mug that I, there's 30 mugs in our cabinet. I go, every day, I go, oh, no, I went to this one right here. <laughs> I feel so secure when I hold this. Nut. It says pawpaw on the side of it. Oh, I like a tea just tastes better out of that mug, you know. I get that. I understand that. This isn't that. <laughs> this is about you stepping out of yourself in the culture and relating with other people and saying, it is absolutely more important that I love them than I serve myself. And that is loving yourself. So you are removing language that is not appropriate. When you do, the Bible says you tower up. You become known for behavior. You become known as somebody who's you can share confidences with and they're not going to go all over the world. So it says fitness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Oh, man. Which are not fitting. Proper, as they say in Canada. But rather thanks... Of God. Okay, he's given you a substitute. Rather than all that stuff, all that stuff that you're, you're talking about and you're involved in or whatever that I'm talking about involved in, you are pulling that into a thankful conversation and an understanding that this is what I really talk about. These are the things I really talk about. This doesn't mean you don't talk about football. You don't talk about gal- You don't talk about things. You can have things you enjoy. The Lord is just bringing you in to walk into the purposes of God. Verse five, but you know that no fornicator, he mentions it again, unclean person nor covetous person who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I've got that highlighted here. I've got it highlighted in my Bible because I can't figure it out because it goes against cultural religion right now. It says, if these things are going on in my life, I have no inheritance. I'm sure God's just kidding. He doesn't really mean this. I mean, it's not like no inheritance. It's just like a lesser inheritance or something. But it can't be no inheritance because God loves me. He does love you. He always did. You know, he loved you before you were a Christian. (laughs) It says in the Bible that while you were sinning, Christ loved you and gave himself for you. That kind of blows the theory that you only minister to people you like. I mean, God, the kind of God love is where you lay down your life for people that you may not even like. And that could be a spouse. I'll finish that. Verse six, let no one deceive you, seduce you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath, this, by the way, the great Greek word here, it's the swelling up to oppose. <laughs> the wrath of God I need to say that in the right way. God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Whatever that is, I don't want it. Verse seven, therefore do not, therefore, therefore, therefore do not be 
partakers. This is where we get our word koinonia. Did you know there's a koinonia in the spirit? And there's like a anti-koinonia? It's like a demonic koinonia? There's a hellish koinonia? These are my friends, man. We hang around. I know I'm, I'm a believer and I'm following Jesus, but over here, you know, we talk about a lot of things I wouldn't talk about normally. My wife doesn't know I talk about these things or do these kinds of things, but you know, that's what the bros do. I mean, we get together and these things happen. That kind of a thing actually has a word attached to it, and it's this partaker word, which is referring to uh, dark fellowship. You cannot serve God and partake in darkness according to Scripture. This isn't Steve Witt. Look at verse eight. I gotta hurry here because first of all, I'm getting in trouble. And secondly, we're running out of time. But if you, you were once in darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Verse eight, walk as children of light. It's almost a plea from Paul saying, what are you doing? You got out of that stuff. You don't need to do that stuff anymore. You, you gave up all the, you know, smoking dope. I'll go back to my generation, you know, and sleeping around and all this. I mean, you gave that up. Why are you dabbling into that, into something that you label as freedom in Christ? Who can take sin and label it as freedom in Christ? You can't. You can't. Now, that's the self-deception that I have to dig out of my own mind because my actions were reflected ultimately that Jesus and his Holy Spirit by the grace and love of our Heavenly Father are sent to shift you, to change you, to transform you on this Transfiguration Sunday. 11, have no fellowship, again, we get this koinonia thing, with unfruitful works of darkness. It's not saying, hey, don't hang out with people that are not believers. I mean, that's crazy. Everyone needs to do that. But do, you do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. It says here, I, you know, this is oh, it's what the word says. This is, but rather, oh, I don't know if I can say it, it's, it's so politically incorrect to say this, but it's, I'm, I'm going to whisper it. You know, I'm going to whisper it so that it doesn't get out on the internet. You know, oh, that's right, we're on the internet. But unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. It's not a tattletale thing. It's figuring out ways to bring corruption that's existing in places that should not be corrupt out in a broader way. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret, but all these things that are exposed are made manifest by light. You are the light of Christ. For whatever makes manifest in light, therefore he says, and by the way, he says this to the church. He says this to followers of Jesus Christ. This was a first century hymn. If they had a hymnal, this was in there. And they knew this together and Paul refers to it. Awake you sleep, sleeper. I don't know if he's saying it or what. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I don't know if that's the way it sounded, but it sounded good to me. Awake you who sleep, Christians can be sleepy. And sleepiness typically is non-light. When you work in places of darkness, when you, you activate yourself in places of darkness, you fall asleep. He says, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Oh, so much to say, but let's keep going. In fact, let's skip the next section. Uh, let's skip 15 to 21. I'll, I'll give this to you on your own. Let's go to 21, actually. Verse 21 says this. <clears throat> after a whole thing about singing in the Spirit, really cool stuff. I love this section. It's just I don't have time, so I, I got to cut it short. But here's what it says. Verse 21, it says, submitting to one another, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in the fear of God. Now it's shifting. It's getting a little more personal here. It's going from broad, hey, you meet people on the street, be kind to them, be loving, you know, learn how to be kind-hearted, stuff like that, prefer them and all that. Now it comes right into your household and into your love life. Where it's, where it's you can read it. You can read about it. Paul is interested in how you love your spouse. And so he's moving into it, and he says this. Ladies, listen to this really closely. Because women have been abused through the centuries by the church on the whole submission factor. The truth is, we are to learn to be submitted to one another. Where is that in Scripture? 
Verse 21, right here, it says, it says, submitting yourself to one another in the fear of God. Submission, really in the Greek, means what you think it would mean. It means going sub, like a submarine, you're going underwater unto a greater purpose. So uh, this is a greater purpose. You're subbing underneath that. You're going underneath. You're allowing your story, your narrative, your dreams to be under someone else. Oh, I got really quiet on that one. I figured it would. I said, Cindy, during that time, pray really hard. So submitting to one another. So, so we get, he's talking, he's moving now into talking about marriage, talking about romance. And those of you who are not married probably will be someday. You may be remarried. I mean, it's, but they say a majority of adult Americans now are not married. First time in history. And so I got to speak to that and say, a lot of you are going to find one another. You know, I hope this becomes a bit of an e-harmony in the days ahead and people find one another. It already has happened. Jay, you know, he got his wife here and uh, I couldn't name any others. So <laughs> there's singles back in the, uh, um, the, the sound booth there raising their hands and praising God. You know? So anyway, <laughs> so we submit to one another. And then he goes, <clears throat> by the way, in this next verse, it does not say wives submit to your husbands. <clears throat> I'm not saying that's not what it's saying. It just doesn't say that. It's a continuation of what was just said. So he said, look, and that's the way it is in the original language. Uh, Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, verse 22, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now that's a key part because the Lord is about, the, Paul is about to instruct us, which is scripture, that God is entering into this relationship uniquely as a testimony of who God and his love is. That makes marriage very scary. Now forget whether they use a toothbrush the same way you do. Forget, you know, this, you think, oh, I don't know. You know, we get up at different times. He's a night person. I'm a day person. You know, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, uh, I like friends. He likes blue bloods. I mean, I don't know what, the, you know, the shows and, uh, you know, we're just, it's going to be fascinating. Like, okay, I get all that. It's really true. And it is a difficult thing to work through all those things. But that's not the biggest difficulty. Let me give you a bigger difficulty so you leave discouraged. <laughs> the bigger difficulty is that God wants to use your marriage as a light to the world of how he loves the church and the church loves him. What? Who came up with that? God did. That's impossible. He doesn't think so. He apparently thinks this can happen. Well, yeah, well, but does he know about the toothpaste thing and everything? Yeah, actually, he fearfully and wonderfully made both of you. And when you came together, you're now becoming one flesh. Oh, man, I'm out of time. It says this, it's kind of happy I'm out of time because this is really controversial in here, but... It says, wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. But husband is the head of his wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. So women have to serve their husbands as if he's Jesus. You don't know my husband. He ain't Jesus. It doesn't matter. There's something that happens. Now, this is the theory of mine, and I think I can back it up, but I got to leave in a few minutes. I think that this submission, he's already said, we mutually submit to one another. He's dealing with something because of what's written. There's something in the core of who a woman is to, to resist the concept of submission because it's been so abused for thousands of years. This doesn't mean you're, you're weak. And it doesn't mean you submit the stuff that's abusive. It doesn't mean that at all. It's talking about an attitude of heart. Here's what it's talking about. This will make you feel a lot better, ladies. You're submitting to this man. Whatever we determine that means, it actually means you're revering. That's really what it's talking about. It's not the submission that we think of in American culture. So let's, let's even change the word because it's more accurately the word. Wives, revere your husbands. You know why? Because men are created with a void that only a woman can fill, proven through Adam. And part of that is revering. You go, well, that does sound like my husband now. 
oh, you're so wonderful. You're just an amazing guy. He loves it when I say that. Well, there's reason for it. He's been created with a void that you fill. When you, that's why men are built as protectors. They're built as crusaders. They're built as warriors, regardless of what the physical condition is. It's in the DNA of a man. And so when a woman, I'm not talking about feeling needy or anything, but when a woman reveres her husband, it kicks something in. It goes back and forth, by the way. It kicks something in a man. And a man, it's easier for a man to love his wife. And I'm not talking about, well, it shouldn't be hard to love your wife. Of course, it's not about that. But men are clueless sometimes on how to, how to express love. They have certain boundaries in the way they were built that limit the ability to be vulnerable in certain situations. They have to learn how to do that. In the same way you have to learn how to revere, he's learning how to, to love in the way that really fulfills a woman. I believe that women are, are filled with, if he's got a gap of reverence in his life, women have a gap of, of love, needing to be loved in the, in the right way. And I'm not talking about physical, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about learning to communicate uniquely to the lady that is in your life in a way that will open a door within them and make them feel covered, blessed, appreciated, and whole. I'm trying my best here, ladies. Because I'm on both sides here. I love, I love both, both the people there. But I'm just trying to clarify an ancient scripture in modern times without disrupting the original Greek. I believe the reason God did this is because he saw a need in man, he saw a need in woman, and he said, hey, you're gonna fill this, and she's gonna fill that. And when you get this going on, <laughs> it becomes a great rhythm. It just takes one thing to interrupt that. A wall come up, and as soon as the revering or the loving stops, a wall comes up, and everything stops, it shuts down. It's a mechanism built by God. So then you have to stop, assess it like you would a machine, fix it, and then push the button back. You begin to revere, really what it boils down to in both. I, I wrote up my margin so I wouldn't forget. I got the word yesterday, surrender. It's about surrendering. When women surrender, again, I'm not talking about abuse and anything like that. When, women sur when men surrender, and women surrender, to do what God's called you to do in order for this relationship to become an amazing light of the gospel, the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together if we could. Oh, that wasn't all of it, but anyway. Uh, the Passion Translation says this about the same verse. For the husband provides leadership for the wife just as Christ provides leadership for his church. As the Savior and reviver of the body. Uh, that's such a great picture of what husbands are called to do. You're called, you know, because it goes into detail in the next verse, it says that, that, she, that you would cleanse her through the washing of the word. There's a, there's a and I'm not talking about lesser than, it's, it's not what God's talking about either. This is about an assignment by God that you're responsible to spiritually pour in. Does that mean women are not spiritual? They don't, no, no. I'm sorry I have to give all these disclaimers, but in today's world, you kind of have to, and I think I need to. You learn to have a relationship of shaping your wife. And when you do that, it releases something in a woman to become everything that God's called her to be. And as she reveres you as a man that she loves, that she needs, needs a big word. That she needs, it unlocks something in a man. The men are being attacked right now, yeah. big time. Right. Big time. I'll have to do a sermon on this, maybe on Father's Day, but men of America are under attack, and if we don't arrest it right now, and I understand they're the perpetrators of 99% of domestic violence and things like that, but there's, there's other problems. Yeah. They're just warriors with not knowing what to fight. <laughs> And so they get bottled up and, and it becomes a problem. Many of them have emotional, spiritual PTSD from things they experience in their lives. They no other way, to, they need healing. They need a touch of God. 
Good thing to say, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Do you see the submission there, the giving, the surrender? Giving themselves. This is not some euphemistic terminology. It's literal. You give yourself that he might sanctify, make sacred, and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word of God. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Oh, wow. So much more here. Here's what I want to do. Jay, come on over. Jay, by the way, has done a great job at this. You know, I've watched his, how long have you been married now? Seven years. Come over here a little closer. I'm not going to bite you. <laughs> yeah, seven years? Seven years. Yeah. Um, we've watched him for seven years. He's just, he's just, his heart is bent toward serving his wife, loving his wife. In, re, in return, he gets great respect from her and from the children and from us. And so that rhythm creates something. Now, he's going to run it. We know if you're older. Yeah, we have, well, wait till he gets in his 40s. It's really bad, Jay. You get in your 40s, 50s. Things start changing in your 50s. In your 60s, you're toast. It's done. But then I run into people in their 60s that are vibrant. They're traveling all over the world. They're loving on one another. It's like, well, where did they get that? I, I'm jealous of that, you know? you can do it 70s 80s in fact there's a sweetness of God-given relationship that can only be tasted after 30 40 years 50 years and so each each decade you're moving into opportunity for deeper sense of this it doesn't wear down I know I know people oh you get older you know you've been together a long time you know everything I find out things about Cindy weekly I'd say weekly that I either didn't know or I forgot. You know, that's the blessing of being in your 60s. You have to re-remember everything. But if you stick to it, this is honest truth. I mean, I'm mean, again, I'm not talking about abuse and everything else. You may need to separate from that situation. You really, you may need to. And there'll be times when you feel separate. You know, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. There's always, there's this movement in a marriage. You're different than you were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it might be. Cindy, Cindy and I went through a deep difficulty. This, it wasn't like between, it wasn't, I don't know how to say it. it. It wasn't what you would think. It was something like totally separate from us, but impacted us. And we went, we went in a deep place. I mean, deep place of, and I'm not talking about dread. It was a deep place of discovery. It was very awkward. It was very vulnerable. It was very, you know, but what? It, the Lord sewed that thing up. And by the way, he told us through four things that happened in one day. Four little tragedies. I mean, just in our house, stuff that a clock fell off the wall. It was weird stuff. Four little things. And he used it to speak into our lives. This is a turning point. This is a new, new plan. Not that marriage was bad. We're getting an upgrade. We got, a, we got an upgrade this week. We talk about things that I don't think we talked about a week ago. And we've been married 43 years. So God is wanting to take you from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. Whoa, what a beautiful thing. Jay, pray for the couples or those that, those that have someone they love. And then pray for the singles if you could, you know, that, that God will help them discover love in this moment you know where they may not be married or whatever all that that's your assignment so I'll watch online to make sure you did it all right yes sir thanks sir God bless happy Valentine's Day come on so good so good yeah if you're married in this place can you just put your arm around your spouse pull them in a little close you're bickering on the way, coffee or something, it's okay. See, I love you, I forgive you. <laughs> See, you're welcome. Let me pray for you. Father God, you, you created marriage. You invented the institution of marriage and you are love personified. Thank you for allowing us to echo that love in our relationships and with each other. And Father, I, I, we know now more than ever that marriage 
it's more important than ever for marriages to be strong and vibrant and on fire for the Lord. And God, I just pray that if there's any discouragement, um, just effects of this pandemic financially, things that have brought stress and pressure in the relationship, I ask that your healing presence and relief would come right now. That it would almost be like an exhale across the room. And as you breathe out, all those worries and all those heavy things just float up into the sky as heaven exchanges it for joy. God, I just pray that marriages, even in this room this morning, that you feel like you're on the rocks, that you're not sure that this is going to last for the rest of your life. Holy Spirit, you're the great comforter. Would you just come into that relationship and begin to build bridges and healing in Jesus' name? He's doing it right now. Can you feel him moving in the room? He's doing it right now. He's healing and restoring marriages and relationships. He's doing it. It's who he is. It's what he does. He builds bridges and relationships. I feel like in this moment, I just wanted to share something with you real quick. When Josie brought that $5 bill down, my daughter, to give to my wife's friend, my wife said, oh, you don't have to do that. And the only look on her face was, she thought, what an outrageous notion. She was shocked. She said, but I want them to be able to buy something nice for their baby. Why wouldn't I give everything in my piggy bank to this? And that is how heaven is. If you stand before him this morning and you say, but Jesus, there's too much sin. There's too much separation in my life to merit the gift of what you gave. He would echo that. I believe like God was speaking to me through Josie and he's speaking right now. He says, but that's, what I, that's why I did it so that I could have you. So this morning, if you're separate from God, you don't know Jesus. That's the God. That's who he is. He is not some ogre in the sky wanting to dole out death and judgment on you. He is a father who loves you and paid every price to be close to you. So in this room this morning, if you would like to give your heart to Jesus, maybe for the first time or all over again, would you just put your hand up? We don't do this just so that we can have numbers. We do this because it's an activation of faith that says I'm standing in a room of people and something's happening in my heart and in response, I'm raising my hand. Yeah. So if that's you and your hands raised, let's pray. And if, if you're already saved, we are so happy about that. But pray with me anyways, okay? You don't have to repeat me, just agree. Father God, Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you that when Jesus died on the cross, it satisfied the need to punish humanity, that that, that that death built the bridge and made the way for all of us to be able to boldly come before the Father. So in Jesus' name, I surrender my life. I invite you to come live in my heart, every room, every part, nothing's withheld. And I want to submit my life.